I'm actually very excited about right where we are uh, because it calls for us to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what the children of God are called to do. And we are believing God for his hand in all these things. So, All right. Well, the next four sermons will be coming out of chapter 20, the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments. Today, we're going to be looking at the preamble. The preamble, which really is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. We'll get to those in just a moment. But I wanted to read Psalm 1 to you. Psalm 1 is a familiar psalm to many in this room. Some of you have it memorized. But it is a powerful psalm and a reminder to all of us a place to be. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. I want to challenge you as we begin to look at the law of the Lord, uh, that you, as well as myself, we would find our delight in the law of the Lord. Find our delight. And in it, we would meditate day and night. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Say that with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so we come to Exodus chapter 20. First two verses say this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It's the Lord's working, and it's the Lord's doing. It is God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. It is God who brought them out of the house of bondage. I, re I am reminded in Exodus chapter 6, maybe two months ago, maybe two and a half months ago when we were there, God speaking to Moses said these words, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem 
with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. It's like seven I will statements of God. And Israel is his redeemed people. He purchased them back, if you will. He redeemed them. And we find ourselves in this preamble, God is speaking. And he says, I am the Lord your God. So our first look at this preamble, God spoke. And God spoke. God spoke verbally at Mount Sinai. He spoke to Moses and the children of Israel. It's interesting that chapter 19 leaves us at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses back with the people. He had gone up to meet with the Lord, and the Lord sent him back down. And we come into chapter 20, and it says, And God spoke all these words. It's quite possible that Moses and Aaron were still there amidst the people. And God spoke, for the people later said, after this, the people asking that God not speak with them directly and that Moses be the messenger. For the people were terrified of God. There was fear that came upon them. So whether Moses was all alone or to the children of Israel at this point, the simplicity is God spoke. God spoke. And so... The scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 21 that Moses had come back up to the mountain to receive more revelation from God and the people. The scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is God-breathed. This, the totality of this book we call the Holy Bible is God-breathed. God spoke. God spoke. I'm reminded in Genesis when God spoke Absolutely, things occurred instantaneously. We pray, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. When God speaks, things happen. Here, God spoke. The law was given. The beauty for you and I is, God is still speaking. Thanks be to God. He's speaking the same message, for God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we are reminded in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, some seven times in seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, God says at the end, his salutation, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. God is still speaking. We have the opportunity to be listening, to be listening. And so in this preamble, God spoke all these words. God's law upon man's heart. The law given in Exodus chapter 20 is not the beginning 
if you will, of the law. God has written upon the tablet of man's heart his law. It goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve knew right and wrong. They were given a commandment, and they made a choice to violate the commandment. Certainly their heart would have been convicting them not to disobey. And so God has written, the scripture even bears out, that his word has been written upon the tablet of man's heart. So the law is not a new thing given at Mount Sinai. However, there may be some aspects of new revelation given in the law, but for the most part, the law that was given at Mount Sinai had already been upon the tablet of man's heart. The Bible tells us that the law of God is holy, it is just, and it is good. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. James reminds us that every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. The law is good. We've already read out of Psalm 19 that the law is perfect. We know that the law is good. God spoke. We will look at a number of the verses that he spoke even next week in the law. We'll be looking at next Sunday the first four of the Ten Commandments, we'll see God speaking. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, asks a key question. Chapter 3 of Galatians is a powerful portion of Scripture, as is chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 1 and chapter 5. But number 3 specifically gives us instruction regarding the law and gives us instruction as to really the purpose of the law. What was the purpose? Asking that question, what purpose does the law serve? I give three thoughts in association for why or what the purpose of the law is. The first purpose the law was given, Galatians 3.19 tells us, it was added because of transgressions. It was added because of sin. You say, well, because of sin, I'm not sure I understand that fully. I believe that the law was given, and it was given fearfully with thunderings, with lightnings, with deep clouds of darkness, with fire upon the mountain, to produce fear in the heart of man so that man would not sin, so that you and I would not sin. We would have a reverence for God. It was to keep us, if you will, from dying out before Messiah would come. So one purpose of the law was that the law was given to restrain man's heart in sin. Restraining sin in men by revealing God's holy standard. God's holy standard. Another purpose the law was given was to reveal man's innate rebellion. Innate rebellion. I would not know what it was to covet until the law said, don't covet. And then I found every form of covetousness in me. It reveals this innate rebellion against rule 
in my life? It's that proverbial question, who's going to sit on the throne? Am I going to be on the throne, or am I going to submit to Jesus upon the throne of my life? We see in Adam and Eve that rebellion that begins. The commandment was given, and the very thing that they were commanded. Did you ever wonder in this massive garden that God provided all the trees and all the plants as food, why they found themselves standing at the one tree they were told not to eat from? How did they end up there? How is it that when your parents left you in the home and said, don't eat any of the cookies in the cookie jar, you found yourself standing by the cookie jar wondering, would she notice? Would mom be able to, did she really count all the cookies that are still in there? Why is it that the one thing that we're told not to do is the one thing that we seem to focus on? There is a revealing of the reality of the condition of my own heart. The law reveals rebellion establishes a standard that is written in codex form and a commandment form. It shows us our need for a Savior. It's a revealing. I am desperately wicked. I need a Savior. Paul goes on in that portion of Galatians to tell us that the law was given as a tutor. In verse 24 of chapter 3, Paul concludes, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Thanks be to God. So, it's a tutor, again, revealing what was already in my heart. God had written upon the tablet of my heart, my heart convicting me, your heart convicting you of right and wrong. And establishing God's moral code of conduct, being just, being holy, and being good, further revealing my inability to live according to this moral code, and it demonstrates to me my need for a Savior. Thanks be to God. God has provided and supplied a way of salvation, a way of restoration, a way in order for me to uphold, and now, in the newness of life in Christ, if I live in my dependence upon the Lord, I am enabled and empowered by God himself to deny my flesh and to live according to this code of conduct, if you will, to bring glory to God. Several other reasons the scripture gives us for this law and why it was given the purpose. Number one was to reveal his glory and his holiness to the world. And certainly to Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 through 28, I'll read, uh, I believe 24 here. It says, And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. His glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet man still lives. So to reveal his greatness, excuse me, his glory and his holiness. Uh, number two, to sanctify, to set Israel apart as his own special people, his chosen, to separate them from all other nations, to be an example to the world, what it means to be governed by God, not self-governed. 
Number three, to establish Israel, or to establish for Israel, or to give Israel a standard of godly living. Of godly living. Here are the guidelines. These are not the ten suggestions. These are the Ten Commandments. Live this way. It is godliness. Number four, to prepare Israel for their coming Messiah and to reveal to the world the coming of Messiah. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 reminds us. And I would also add to illustrate in type and ceremony the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 would reveal to us. So the Ten Commandments, which I won't read verses 3 through 17 this morning, the Ten Commandments, I will say this in reference to them by way of preamble and by way of you and I in preparation even for the next couple of weeks as we look into what we would call the perfect law of liberty. And it really is liberty. Um, the Ten Commandments, there's a natural break in the Ten Commandments. The first four of the commandments deal with man's relationship with and toward God. And the last six commandments deal with man's relationship with his fellow man. So we have a vertical relationship that God deals with first. Man's relationship with God. In fact, let me say this. If you and I, if we have our relationship with God right, then all other relationships have the potential of rightness. If we don't have our relationship with God right to begin with, no relationship will be right on the horizontal line. It is interesting to me that the first four of the commandments have that God relationship subject matter first. Our relationship with God is the preeminent priority. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I remember back when I was born again, about 1983, mid-year. And I remember at that time, my pursuit was me, me, me. Can anybody identify with that? Me first. I was in high school. Well, I graduated from high school. I was in junior college. But from, from my junior year in high school, I was in a relationship with a, a, a gal. I was working for my family. I was in pursuit of playing football. I was, I felt like I had the world by the tail. I was on mission and I was gonna be successful. I was at Marina High School in Huntington Beach, California. I was 16 years old as a junior. I was starting on the varsity squad. We were in the CIF. We were amidst some of the best football teams in the nation. I remember my senior year, our first game, we played in Aloha Stadium in Hawaii. We dethroned the Hawaii national champion 28 to zero. I felt like, man, we are going all the way. 
We played, we played the number one team in the nation that year, Edison High School. We were winning up to the last minute and some 30 seconds. We were in an undefeated season, and I thought, yes, I'm going somewhere. I felt like I had the world by my tail, or by the tail, by my own tail, I don't know. <laughs> However that statement goes, I thought I had. <laughs> I was making money when the average wage at McDonald's, I think, was $3.25. I was making over $7 an hour because I was working in my family's business, and we were, I was an important person in that operation. And, uh, man, I thought I had it going. And I realized when the Lord arrested my heart one night that my pursuit was all the wrong pursuit. I remember I came to Oregon to play football at Portland State. I had a scholarship. And I was here for just, a, I think, 10 weeks for one term. And then I went back down to California. And it was that summer that I broke up with that girl that I had dated for nearly three years. And I realized that it was all built on the wrong stuff. It was wrong. And God spoke to me at that time in my life. And I, as clear as day, I remember how God spoke and what he said to me. God spoke to me, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. God first. God first. God first. And I made that my life verse. It was my mission. I'm going to put God on the throne, and I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord, not just Savior. I want him to be Lord of my life. And I remember I came back for that first, my junior year of football at Portland State, and man, I remember dedicating every single football game to the Lord. We were sharing the gospel. We were preaching the gospel in the park blocks at Portland State. We would pray and ask God to bless. And we would just, it was, it was an amazing time. And we, Bible study after Bible study, we would get up at 6 a.m. in the morning. And we would be at Bible study every Thursday and Friday at 6 a.m. in the morning. A bunch of young adults just passionately seeking the Lord. Oh, God. Your will, thy will be done, thy will be done, use us. I remember my roommate at the time, we would we would have these, uh, we noticed that the Mormons had set up a book table down in the Smith Hall where the food court was, and so we brushed ourselves up on what the, what the tenets of faith, what the doctrine of the word of God is, and we would go occupy the Mormons for over an hour so that they couldn't talk to anybody else. <laughs> we, we, were, we were just on, we were on fire for God, kingdom first. And all these things will be added unto you. I remember sitting on the front row in the church. There was probably a thousand people like right here. My face. And I remember sitting on the front row, aisle seat, front row. And I remember this one guy who was a friend of mine who had been a roommate. He said to me one day, he said, uh, Hey, man, we should go on a double date. I said, bro, I'm not dating anybody. I'm dating Jesus. <laughs> he said, no, bro, we need to go on a double date. He said, well, look, look, look. If there was a girl in our college group that you would go out with, 
who would it be? Wait, he says, don't tell me. Let me guess. I said, bro, I don't want to date anybody. I'm just dating Jesus. And so he named off one gal's name. I said, oh, no, I wouldn't love her. <laughs> he wrote me in to this conversation. He says, oh, I know who. He says, what about Kim Leahy? Well, I paused long and hard on that one. And I said, you mean that cute little girl that sits across the aisle? He says, you've noticed her. I said, well, there is a reason that I sit on the front row. <laughs> I'll see. I do have peripheral vision here. He says, this is great. He says, because I'm dating her sister. <laughs> and so, Shannon, if you're here or if you're watching this on the internet, well, you're getting stories told on you now, too. <laughs> I said, don't you dare say anything. He says, oh, no, 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 I won't say anything. He said, maybe sometime. I said, no, I'm just dating Jesus. He left that conversation, drove right over to Kim's house, and says the same thing to Kim. He says, hey, if there was a dude in this young adult group that we could go out on a double date with, is there a guy? She's like, no, I don't want to see anybody, you know, blah, 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 blah. He says, what about Nate Morris? And she says, he's kind of cute. <laughs> So we went on a date, and we liked each other, and it was fun, and we had a lot of laughter. And here we are, 33 years later, married 30 years, blessed and happily married, three wonderful children who absolutely passionately love Jesus. All these things will be added unto you. Praise the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. All you young people, I'd say to all the young ladies here, the scripture says, lift Jesus higher. He says, if I will be lifted up, I will draw all men unto you. No. He <laughs> <laughs> says, I will draw all men unto me. That's not me. That's him. <laughs> but let me say something to you, young people. Find your God's will for your life. In the kingdom. Don't look other, don't look outside the kingdom. God did not intend for us to be unequally yoked. And find, I would say to every young woman here, find a man who is passionate for Jesus and puts Jesus first. Amen. And I would say to every young man, you find a young woman who is Jesus first. Kingdom of God first. Priorities, rights, and God's blessings. Yeah, your life. Man so often reverses the order. We put the all these things first and not the kingdom of God first. Jesus was asked by a lawyer at one point, what is the great commandment of the law? Jesus answered, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment. The second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments are the law and the prophet. Aren't you thankful that Jesus narrowed the two? He took the first four and the last six and said, here's the first one. Love God. Here's the last six. Love man. Love man. All of the law and the prophet hang on these two. Let's get these right. So the priority, priority number one, is my relationship with God. Yes, man sometimes gets 
gets it messed up. There was another occasion when a fellow asked him, uh, or Jesus called a man to follow him. The man responded this way, Lord, allow me first. Allow me first. Dot, dot, dot. Many of you know the rest of the story. Let me go do this. Let me go do this. But allow me first. I think sometimes that's, we get things confused. Allow me first. Me first. Today, if you're here and you struggle with the me first stuff, I just want to encourage you. Put the Lord first. The me stuff second. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's the me stuff third, fourth, fifth, down road. So, top priority of my life should be to be in right relationship with God. It should exceed every other pursuit that you and I have. What is the drive of your day? What is the drive of your life? Is it the pursuit of relationship Jesus asked this question, and it's profound. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Just by way of reminder, everybody. I mean, it's just a reminder. This world and the things of this world and the things in this world, they are passing away. This world is not our home. It's not our home. I love that the scripture reminds us in the book of Hebrews that Abraham and his sons lived in tents. They lived in tents as sojourners passing through. And the scripture goes on to say, for Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Gang, this life is a vapor. It's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Now you see me, now you don't. Let's spend our days or invest our days, if you will. Invest our days in kingdom first. God first. Vertical first. We get this right. And all of this has the opportunity to be right. We don't get this right. All of this will be a mess. How about you this morning? Would you say that you have a right relationship with your Father? You ask the question, would Jesus Christ be abundantly satisfied with me as his disciple? Would Jesus be abundantly satisfied with me as his disciple? You could do a quick economy of scales. Put a little 1 to 10 or 0 to 10. This side of the scale, the 0, 1, 2, 3s, not very satisfied. 8, 9s, and 10s, abundantly satisfied. Where do you find yourself? Self-evaluation. Ask the Lord, Lord, are you abundantly satisfied with me where I am in my discipleship? Am I 
living even according to the conduct of those things that are written in the preamble, let alone the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. His holy conduct is still relevant for you and I to this day. Can I get an amen? Is not thou shalt not steal still applicable to the believer? Can I get an amen? Amen. God first. Amen. Still applicable. All applies. Last week, at the conclusion of the message out of chapter 19, we had been talking about God's government. And the majority of us who were here, if not everybody who was here, raised our hands and said, I am a candidate for a greater governess of God in my life, a greater amount of his governance in my life. We're all candidates. We say yes. We talked about how Isaiah the prophet said uh, uh, of the increase of his government and peace there would be no end. There's opportunity for, more, for me to give more government to him in my life, his rule in my life. And the more rule I give him, the greater amount of peace that I will have of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. This is, this idea of God first, these first four commandments that we will look at in detail next Sunday, the priority of this relationship, how are you in that arena? God first. Again, Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For you and I, it is God who has redeemed us out of this world. He redeemed us. Like me, I was destined. I thought I had the world by the tail, but I was on a highway to hell. Wide is the road and broad is the gate, or broad is the road and wide is the gate that leads to death and destruction, and many enter through it. I was on that road. Thanks be to God, I took the off-ramp and received Christ as my Savior, and he turned me around, and now I'm headed down the narrow path. And the scripture says, few find it. But what about that narrow path that you and I are on? Is God the preeminent in our lives? The preeminence of Christ, the preeminence of his pursuit. Am I about my father's business? He came to seek and to save the lost. Is that the mission of my life? You don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry, do we, to be about the Great Commission. Good. We're all called to be disciples. We're all called to scatter seed. Some of us will be planters, some of us will be waterers, some of us will be harvesters. The beauty is God brings the increase and we all get to rejoice together. What am I doing my part? Am I engaged? Am I God first? He's redeemed me. He's brought me out of this world and he's delivered me from the bondage of sin. Am I responding in love? Love God. Love God with all my heart all my strength, with all my soul, with all my mind. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us this morning.
Ten Commandments. The first four, we will look at deta in detail next week. Our relationship with God. Your relationship with the Lord. Is Jesus abundantly satisfied with me? Like last week, I suspect every one of us could raise our hands and the question is, could there be a greater satisfaction from our Lord? Likely every hand would go up. Knowing these things, knowing these things, what manner of man ought we to be? Let's not wait for the Lord and leave him waiting. But let's bring the light to the Lord. Let's live like that man in Psalm 1 who walks in relationship with God, who is not in the midst of the counsel of the ungodly, who delights himself in the law of the Lord, finds the law of the Lord in its goodness, Meditating on God's law, God's word, day and night. Oh, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. I am, as I know you are, thankful that it's not based upon our performance. Can someone give me an amen? <laughs> Who is Jesus. Jesus came and he fulfilled all the law. And therefore, because of his fulfillment of all the law, we are blessed and we are included. And we have the opportunity to bring glory to God. That's, that is the gift we have in our holy conduct to obey the Lord. Going back to chapter 19, the scripture reminds us, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own special people. Jesus has made it possible for you and I to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, peculiar, his own special people. Let us not use our liberty, the scripture goes on to say, as a vice for evil. Hey, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Does that make sense? Let's live well. Let's live right. Let's be more pleasing to the Lord in all we do. Father, in these next few moments as we bow our eyes and heads to you, we acknowledge that your law is good. It is holy and it is just. And it is to be the rule of my life, the rule of my own faith and my own conduct. So Father, will you help each of us to live honorably amongst those who do not know you yet, amongst the Gentiles. That Lord, by our good behavior, by our obedience to the principles and the laws of God, we might be a reflection of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs a Savior. So God, empower us, help us, 
And may we yield even more so in the days to come, today being the first day of the rest of our lives. May today we do all those things that are in our power to do to make our relationship with you the priority. That we would have no other gods before you. That we would not have graven images but Lord, we would do those things right. And so God be glorified and help us if there are things that we have set up in front of you or those things that we are more passionately pursuing than relationship with you. Lord, we want to denounce those. So in your hearts right now, as you and I are before the presence of the Lord, if there are things that you have placed in front of your pursuit of God, our prayer is today that, Lord, you would help us to relinquish those things, to let them go, and to put you first. So God be glorified. Thank you that as we seek your kingdom first, you add all these things unto our lives. So it's not to take them away, it's to have them in proper perspective and priority. God be glorified. We love you. We ask your blessing and benediction. As we go to the afterglow, as we tear down, as we spend time with family, God, will you be glorified in our lives and help us to be about your kingdom. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. 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 The Lord bless you and keep you. Please help us and uh, we'll tear down quickly so we can all get to the afterglow. God bless you. <laughs>